We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that, of course, is from Thomas Jefferson. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Brigitte Gia, and today's show is all about Independence Day and family feuds. And I'm Jovan Handel. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Please visit www.bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation and get more information about how you can be a part of our mission to increase literacy and positive message media. It's always a season for giving, so give big. Now, for this first segment, I wanted to dedicate this um, patriotic edition of my segment, World Watch, to discussing how some foreign countries celebrate their independence days. I thought it'd be interesting to learn some of the traditions other countries around the world have for their independence days, because they certainly are very different from America's own Fourth of July. Now, to get things started, I thought I'd talk about Mexico's Cinco de Mayo. As some of you may know, it's not actually Mexico's independence day. Rather, the story behind the holiday is as follows. In 1823, our fifth president, James Monroe, proclaimed the Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe Doctrine was a show of strength to Europe and dictated a large part of America's foreign policy for the following decades. It told Europe that we wouldn't interfere with their current colonies. However, this was on the condition that if they tried to colonize any further regions in North and South America, we would view it as a hostile act against the U.S. and take any necessary actions that we deemed necessary. But in the 1860s, America was caught up with the Civil War, and France saw this as a golden opportunity to take over Mexico. Against all odds, a small Mexican force overpowered the larger French army in an important battle in 1862 that really changed the tide of the small war between Mexico and France. The date of this battle was May 5th, and thus the holiday of Cinco de Mayo was born. In reality, though, Mexico celebrates its Independence Day on September 16th. The most traditional way to celebrate Independence Day in Mexico is by a ceremonial ringing of bells in cities across the country, followed by a patriotic speech by the mayors of each town. In Mexico City, Mexico's president will ring the bell of the National Palace, which was once, once inhabited by Aztec emperors and is now inhabited by the current president of Mexico. And moving on, there's actually another prominent Independence Day within a few days of the 4th of July. 
Canada actually celebrates Canada Day on July 1st. In its capital, Ottawa, Snowbird's military planes often perform an air show that is sometimes even attended by the British royal family. The rest of the country often organizes activities for young children everywhere to get them more educated on the history of their nation. And another interesting Independence Day tradition is India's kite flying every August 15th. The President of India makes a speech, uh, sorry, the Prime Minister of India makes a speech at New Delhi's Red Fort, and then many people take part in a fun but competitive kite flying competition. And the reason that they fly kites specifically is that this symbolizes freedom and free will for them. Indonesia is another country that also celebrates with a sort of competition. Theirs entails a race to climb up to the top of a palm tree first and grab the prizes waiting up there. Sydney, Australia also hosts various boat races for people to compete in as well. And another extremely interesting tradition is on South Korea's Independence Day, which is actually celebrated on the same day as North Korea's Independence Day. And South Korea has a large celebration, which features a highlight of a special song being sung to the president. And as soon as the song is done being sang, the president will subsequently pardon certain people from prison. Now, South Korea's executive office has been riddled with corruption over the past few years, so I personally would be interested to see how these pardons are then chosen. And moving on, keeping in line with the French Revolution, France has its own Independence Day be military-themed. To commemorate the storming of the Bastille prison in 1789, they have a parade down the same famous street, the Champs-Élysées, forgive my pronunciation, where the Tour de France finishes and where the Arc de Triomphe, which was built by Napoleon, lies. Another interesting tradition is Israel's Independence Day um, celebrations. In addition to large parades and various other celebrations, a large quiz is held each year in Jerusalem for students across the world, not even just the country, to partake in. Judges will then decide who knows the Torah, Judaism's sacred text, the best. Anyway, I thought it would be a fun little discussion to go over these Independence Day traditions, seeing as they all drastically differ from what we're used to here in America. Yeah, yeah, that's super, super neat. I loved how you were able to give us like kind of like a global view of what goes on in the different countries <laughs> during Independence Day. Uh, yeah, it's actually, um, you brought up Canada. Yeah, I used to, I was born in Canada. I lived there for a while and we did oh, wow. have, yeah, July 1st was like Canada Day. And it's interesting because we, we know in America, um, Independence Day as, you know, Independence Day and July 4th, but then... You have Canada Day, like the different name in Canada, which I always found was kind of neat because um, like one country calls it by, oh, this is our country's day. And then another country calls it by, oh, this is the day, you know, like Independence Day, which was right, kind of right. cool. Yeah, it's like, huh, that's pretty interesting. And yeah, I thought... Um, but the French Revolution um, or like France's celebration uh, was pretty neat because like... Technically, France didn't, you know, originate on that day, but it's mm -hmm. like, oh, Champs-Élysées, they have, like, a celebration centered around the French Revolution, which is kind of, you know, kind of the same idea as America, really, where you've got that, you know, independence of thought more as, and, like, centered around kind of a revolution. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, anyway. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I was just like, huh, nice. And so, Jovan, how do you and your family celebrate the 4th of July? 
Oh, that's a good question. So um, my family, especially since it's so hot out here, I live in the Central Valley in California, where I'm sure you can imagine. And so because it's so hot, <laughs> we often have, you know, small swimming parties with family and friends. And then our local university actually hosts a pretty big uh, fireworks show where people around the county often come to. And so, you know, that's always a fun little tradition, especially since when I was younger, uh, we would have our own little fireworks show amongst just our family. But then um, due to safety regulations, a lot of fireworks were banned for private use. And so now we often just go to a big celebration in at our local university. Nice. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, I love how, like, I, I don't actually know where fireworks um, originated or, like, where the tradition of showing fireworks on the 4th of July originated. But, like, I, I like that tradition. I feel like it's a pretty central or, like, a pretty... Uh, how do you say, like a pretty major part of the celebrations. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, same here. You know, we've got our local fireworks, although not as big as yours, definitely. Um, (laughs) You know, we all sit on, like we have a golf course uh, near my home and in my town. And we just sit, we just camp out there and we watch our local fireworks and they're all pretty nice. We have a good time. And my mom always tries to take pictures, you know, of the fireworks. I'm like, mom, relax, you know, just watch it. Just live in the moment. (laughs) So that's pretty neat. Um, Any other traditions? Do you guys do barbecues? Anything like that? Uh, Yeah, something along those lines. Uh, My uncle's a big uh, grill fanatic, so, you know, he'll do some some sort of foods, corn on the cob. He'll do burgers, hot dogs, those kinds of things. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I, I <laughs> That's a pretty big tradition as well. I love food. You know, it's always nice to eat food on 4th of July. And you can kind of, like, eat more, you know, because it's like a holiday and you get a lot of hot dogs and, like, a lot of barbecue on your plate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, there's always the hot dog eating contest oh, yeah. uh, to watch. I still don't know how those guys do it over there. Yeah, they just... Maybe it's <laughs> training at home. Do you think they train just like every single day, just eat a lot of hot dogs? All right. Who knows? Who knows? All righty. Well, thanks, Joven, so much for this great conversation. Loved how you were able to incorporate global independence traditions. That was awesome. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have. Support our show in these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are charity. That brings you this program. For more information on how to do this, go to bethestarur.org and follow our blog. I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Joven Hundle. More information is available at our website, www.bethestarur.org. Don't go anywhere as we continue our fascinating discussion about Independence Day and family feuds. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids.
You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Back to our uplifting, inspiring program. I'm Bridget Gia, and you are listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by the Be The Star You Are charity. For this segment, we are discussing Independence Day and family feuds. And I'm Joven Hundle. Today we have Dr. Eric Maisel with us on the show. Eric is a retired family therapist, an active life coach, and the author of over 50 books. He has been quoted or featured in a variety of publications, including Martha Stewart Living, Red Book, Glamour, Men's Health, The San Francisco Chronicle, and Self. He lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, and his new book, Overcoming Your Difficult Family, Eight Skills for Thriving in Any Family Situation, is out now. In the book, Eric shows us how to stay sane when family isn't, providing practical strategies that can be implemented immediately. And with that, let's welcome Eric onto the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Definitely, definitely. And so, um, just let's dive right into it. And so we're wondering, why exactly would you say family dynamics are so difficult for so many people? Well, I think we have a lot of mythology around people actually caring for each other and loving each other. And I do think that's about a thousand years of mythology. I think people actually more come into relationships critical of other people, easy to hold resentments with all sorts of agendas, wanting what they want. I think family life is just basically more difficult than folks um, allow themselves to believe. I think the proof of that or the, the one way to think about that is 50% of marriages end in divorce, 75% of second marriages and third marriages end in divorce, probably fully another 10 or 20% of marriages are unhappy but don't end in divorce because the folks stay together for the kids or for other reasons. The majority of married couples are probably unhappy and heading for divorce, so how could family life be okay in that situation? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, you know, I feel like we, we all do think that we're selfless and we do think that we should be genuinely so and that everybody else should be selfless in these relationships because of these myths. But I guess we all have to recognize that we really do have flaws as humans. And, you know, there are all these statistics yeah, showing that these myths are not exactly correct. Yeah, so, if, you, if you're in a happy family, um, you're the exception, and you should uh, <laughs> get down on your knees and, uh, you know, praise the universe every few minutes because really most families are, are not that happy. And um, I think the teens in a family are having an especially difficult um, role to play because, A, they're trying to figure out their own meaning and life purpose and all of that. And then there's a lot of caretaking that goes on. If the adults are not so okay, if the adults are, if the parents are clinically depressed or anxious or alcoholic or one thing and another, the kids are going to take on some caretaking responsibilities. They're usually excessive caretaking responsibilities. They're going to have trouble, you know, differentiating between loving their parents and pitying their parents and just a lot of pressure on teens to deal with family life. 
Exactly. Yeah. It's not always, it's, yeah, it's not really easy out there. And so, uh, Eric, what skills and tools can we, you know, maybe we specifically as teens as well, uh, use to really survive a difficult family? And can you give us some examples of using those skills and tools in a real life family situation? Well, I, I think I'd like to use a little bit of my language because I think it might help um, your listeners and because so many kids and teens are being diagnosed with one thing or another, whether it's childhood depression or ADHD or ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, what have you. I want to start from the place of having your listeners understand that there may not be a mental disorder there at all, but just normal reaction to the pressures of family life. And so if a teen feels himself or herself pressured, pushed towards a diagnosis, and what usually follows the diagnosis are chemicals called medication, if a teen feels pushed in that direction, I would just invite that teen to look at the counter-literature, look at, the, look at other ways of conceptualizing what's going on different from the current paradigm that everything is a mental disorder that ought to be treated with chemicals. So that's the first thing is to realize that there's this epidemic of diagnosing going on and kids have to be careful about being diagnosed. Their their parents are going to pressure them into the diagnosis because the schools are pressuring the parents into the diagnosis. So there's a tumbling effect here. So that's the first thing. And the the second thing is I think we don't understand the extent to which um, teens are experiencing existential despair, namely the why bother feeling or does anything matter. And adults experience that too, but I think it's especially poignant and, and difficult in the teen years to try to figure out if anything does matter and why to bother. So rather than labeling those feelings clinical depression and imagining that you have some kind of mental disorder, I just think it's wiser to step back and say to yourself, well, maybe what I'm really sad about, what I'm despairing about, just not understanding what my life purposes are yet or how really to make meaning or keep meaning afloat, that is to move away from the diagnostic universe towards a more existential view of what goes on in, in a human being. Definitely. And so I really like how you talked a bit earlier about how we so often, you know, kind of try and find a scapegoat for so many of our issues when there really isn't a scapegoat. It's us. You're talking about how some people try to pressure others, schools as such, to get diagnosed with a mental mental disorder yep. for these teens. And so what kinds of cases do you yourself see most often where, you know, there really isn't a scapegoat here? It's Well, I... I primarily work with creative and performing artists. I work as a creativity coach, so I mostly work with that population. And so I'm mostly seeing um, creative and performing artists who are bringing in the, the two classic difficulties nowadays, and that's sadness and anxiety. And that's especially true um, for creative folks because if you think about it, the creative process is one choice after another put a little blue here, put a little red there. And the activity of choosing provokes anxiety. So there's anxiety threading through the creative process. So for me, in my actual day-in and day-out work, I'm mostly working with the existential despair, sadness part, and the anxiety part. I think the way this, just to segue a little bit, the way this plays out in, in teen life 
is in those in that 16, 17, 18 year time bracket where maybe you've been praised through high school for your um, creative efforts or for your imagination or for this or that, and so you think that maybe you have a creative career in front of you and you think that maybe you're going to go to college to major in one of those things, writing, painting, music, what have you. And maybe your parents have supported you in your high school years because they've liked your products and performances and they didn't quite see the danger coming. And now comes that moment when you're 17 or 18 where <laughs> parents say to, say to the kids, well, that was lovely that you were creative and I'm glad you had a lot of fun and now you've got to do something serious and sensible with your life. Yes. And there are, there are a lot of big conflicts in that junior and senior year between sometimes they're, un, they're unspoken conflicts. There's something that's going on, simmering under the surface where the yes. parents are beginning to be worried about the choices that the child is making, the coming choices for college. And the child is realizing that she's not going to be supported in this vision of being a theater major or a writing major or what have you. So that's one of the kinds of dynamics I see a lot is that terrible push and pull in the junior and senior year between teens and their parents where suddenly the whole rest of life is on the table and big decisions Mm -hmm. have to be made. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a rising senior, and that sounds exactly like my situation right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, all, all my life it's been uh, a lot of emphasis on, you know, history, writing. I've played the violin, I've done art. Now my mom is like, well, you know, you really should be a computer engineer. <laughs> it, 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 provides a lot of money and I was like oh no no please but you know generally they're all right um but uh Eric do you think just jumping off of that real sure. quick um do you think that a rising pressure on youth to like do well get into college get a good job etc is contributing like majorly to more teen diagnosis of like depression that kind, that sort of thing and like an increased stress on families Absolutely. I, I, think it, I think it's incontrovertible that that's um, an additional pressure. Um, I did a book called Rethinking Depression, and um, I was invited by a Korean publisher to update it for Korean population. They wanted to put the book out in, in Korean. So I did some research on how teen depression and general depression is going on in Korea, where the pressure on young folks is exponentially greater than the pressure on our folks. It's just a lot. And their rates of depression, rates of anxiety, and rates of other things that you wouldn't exactly expect to go with it, things like promiscuity and all kinds of things that I, that, and bullying. Bullying is very um, prevalent. So in cultures where there is a, a heavy pressure on the kids to succeed, there also comes all of these emotional challenges which typically then become clinical diagnoses. They're, they're not mental disorders. They're really just certain kinds of pressures. But in our current environment, they become called mental disorders and chemicals follow. Yeah, definitely. And so that's a good point. And if these the students and the parents both recognize what's going on, you know, this push and pull approach that you've been talking about, if the parents sit down and realizes what they're doing, they're stifling a child's creativity and such, but then the student also wants to res- work and to resolve the situation, would you say there's some sort of one-size-fits-all approach to fixing these situations, or are they usually more nuanced than that? 
They're more difficult than that because there isn't really a good answer. If you go down the creative route, then you actually are joining the statistics of folks who aren't going to make it. The parents are are presenting a reality there when they say that it's a really hard life. And if you go down the uh, computer software route, then you're, you're probably going to be haunted by the life that you didn't get to lead. So there, there is not a good answer there or a simple answer there. I think the headline would be that if parents <clears throat> could remain supportive, irrespective of what the decision is, you know, that will be of help to the child because very often that first year of college is tremendously difficult. And in fact, that's when the greatest emotional breakage often happens in human beings is right there at that first year of college. So if, if, if the family has not had a rupture over this, if the family can remain, if the parents can remain supportive, at least the child has that to fall back upon if the first year of college turns out to be tremendously difficult. Exactly, yeah. Oh, man, this has brought a lot of clarity. Thank you very much. Well, thanks so much, Doc, uh, Eric, for that amazing conversation. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment. Uh, to learn more about Eric's work and Overcoming Your Difficult Family, his new book, go to ericmazel.com, spelled M-A-I-S-E-L. And that's also Eric with a C. Um, uh, visit our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, blogs, and more. We will be continuing our conversation, so stay tuned. I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Jovan Hundle. Please visit our charity site at bethestaryouare.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash bethestaryouare. Stay right here as we continue our fascinating discussion for today's theme, Independence Day and Family Feuds. Show the world your smile if you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Joven Hundle. Our program is Express Yourself giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. For this segment of Express Yourself, we are continuing our conversation about Independence Day and family feuds. 
Hi, I'm Brigitte In this segment, we have Dr. Eric Maisel back with us to discuss our theme. Uh, Eric's new book, Overcoming Your Difficult Family, Eight Skills for Thriving in Any Family Situation, um, is a field guide to common types of dysfunctional families and a big helping of real-life success stories that are dinner, ta- dinner table tested and approved. In this segment with Doc, uh, Eric, we will be discussing and learning the following, how to calm and learn to manage family-induced anxiety, how to manifest inner strength to not only survive, but thrive in difficult family dynamics, how to not let distractions get in the way of tough talks that need to happen within the family, how to navigate and thrive in a family with addiction and abandonment issues, why family dynamics are so difficult for so many people, what to do if other family members are the problem and need to change, for couples in a difficult relationship, and tips for parents who are struggling with their unpredictable relationship to their kids. We're also going to be focusing more on the teen viewpoint of things as we were in the previous segment. With that, let's welcome Eric back onto the show. Hello! <laughs> Hi guys, that, that seemed like a lot to cover, but uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, glad to have you back on. Ooh, Thank that's you. A big list. I'm sure we'll get through it. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's definitely jump right in since we've got a lot to cover. Uh, so Eric, um, what are some of the different ways that families can really be difficult or have challenging family dynamics? Well, in the book, I've come up with 10 categories, and they're not really discrete or perfect categories. They're just my way of helping folks understand that every family probably has some kind of flavor. So I talk about sad and anxious families and loveless and distant families and warring and divided families, and I go through seven others. I think it's really important for, for, for folks to use the eight skills that I describe in the book, one of which is clarity and another of which is awareness. Use the clarity and awareness that, that we have to try to understand what our, what our family flavor is, because that matters. If we're dealing with an addicted family, that, that has consequences. If everybody in the family feels frustrated and defeated, we're going to feel frustrated and defeated without even knowing why. It matters what the family flavor is, and it has consequences for teens in the family. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I have a quick question um, about kind of uh, tying into the family dynamics. So um, my family is kind of like, we're we're a little more distant with our like ways of showing affection mm-hmm. And I, I have a friend whose family is the complete opposite. They say, I love you all the time. It's after every, you know, phone conversation. Is there, is there something wrong with my family or their family? Or is it just all within, like, different families? I, I, wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say wrong, but I, I might say unfortunate. That depends on how people in the fam- people in your, how you all are experiencing your family. It's not necessarily the case that, that distance is so bad. There's something called benign neglect, you know, where people get to live their own lives. Your theme is independence. And so that distance may actually foster independence where everyone gets to do his or her own thing. I think it's the loveless part that um, is painful. I'm not saying that your family is loveless, but if it's a, if a, if a family is both loveless and distant, then there are going to be repercussions for every family member. And I think it's going to be hard for folks in that family to, to love, to even know what love looks like. We talked earlier in the other segment about sort of romantic mythology of how families are supposed to be happy or be loving or what have you, and it does not seem to be the case in real life. And I think it's especially poignant in loveless and distant families 
where nobody is particularly practiced at loving and where folks, when one person enters the room, the other person leaves the room. I, I think it's kind of a sad dynamic. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, um, kind of also going back to the topic of teens specifically, mm-hmm. how exactly would you suggest that these sorts of teens go about their life when there is strife in their family that doesn't necessarily involve them, but it might get in the way of their schooling, their um, participation in sports, or anything like that? The first thing will sound funny, but that's to notice that it's going on, uh, because Jung, the psychologist, brought up the idea of blind spots, and often we can have this huge blind spot where our parents are fighting and we don't, we don't quite acknowledge it. We keep ignoring it, mm-hmm. we keep denying it. So, so the first step is, is noticing that something's not okay. That's, that's the first step. A second step might be finding allies, finding somebody to talk to, somebody to validate your experience where somebody who, when you say, boy, it really feels terrible in my family, feels terrible to hear my parents fighting all the time, somebody who can just say, yeah, I bet that feels terrible, as opposed, as opposed to discounting, you know, your feelings. Mm-hmm. And then another tactic or, or, or technique would be to try to discern if it's situational. That is, if, if the family strife happens when one family member is drinking or after both, both parents are having a few drinks, then that's the time to most carefully lock your door. Or if you know that um, when they come home from work, they're, they're both on edge, then that's probably a great moment to stay out of the way. So it's good to understand to what extent what's going on is situational and figure out when it's safest to be around the other family members. And then a last tip would be to connect with peers. Peer counseling programs are great. It's often a peer or a mentor who can talk to you most honestly. And also, that's the person you can probably hear the best. Often, it's hard to hear an adult say this, that, or the other thing, but it's easier to hear a peer counselor say something. So I would say, just to repeat those, I would say don't ignore it and try to find allies and try to figure out if it's situational and then try to get some peer support. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, but when we have, you know, peer counseling and like going to our mentors, uh, why is family therapy, you know, still very important? Well, I think it's a special skill set. I think that's why it's so important. Now, most family therapists by license don't have to see families. They can work with individuals. And since it's much easier to get an individual into the room than have the whole family show up, most family therapists mm-hmm. are actually not that practiced at working with families. They do much more individual work. But a family therapist who actually enjoys, and enjoys is a funny word there because it's really difficult work, but actually enjoys <laughs> having a whole family in the room and refereeing that family and allowing everybody in the family to speak, including those family members who maybe never have a voice when they're at home. That's just a special skill set. takes a lot of maturity, a lot of presence, (laughs) and a lot of skills to pull that off. So that's why I think family therapy can be so valuable because of the skill set of the therapist. And so... How we were kind of talking before about families that, you know, might be more distant, they're not as affectionate with each other. So if they were to, you know, kind of be in a group setting with a therapist like that, do you think it would be more beneficial than if they're not used to opening up in front of their family members? Do you think it would be useful to do more one-on-one peer counseling, how you were saying earlier, or anything like that? 
Well, I, th- I, think, I think both would be helpful. So the question as to what's more helpful, I'm not sure. But um, if, if it is one of these loveless and distant families, I, th- I think the family would begin to see what their dynamic is like in the presence of a family therapist who might, for instance, I've done this, just sit there quietly. It's really hard to sit quietly with people in the room. Sit there quietly and just feel the distance among the people in the room. It's very, it's very painful for everybody present to just sit there, but it's also very powerful. And somebody is going to learn something from that interaction very quickly. And also a trained or a skilled family therapist can make the following kind of assertion and say that there's no love unless somebody's practicing love. There's no love unless somebody's loving Unless someone's Definitely. being kind and being compassionate and saying nice things and, and warming up, not being the cool person, but being the warm person and softening. Mm-hmm. A family, ther- family therapist can say to folks in the room, guys, can you all get a little softer here? You're all so hard-edged. <laughs> you just get a little... You know, why is it all so hard? You get, so, so in other words, I, I think the family, therapist, family therapy experience can be very re- rewarding and very powerful with a skilled family therapist. Yeah, gotta gotta have that skill set to get everybody get everybody going. And so, just to jump off that a little bit, um, you mentioned like you know, like there's this whole you can be really cold, and like that can happen within a family. And I've actually I saw a video recently where they categorize people in like romantic relationships as avoidant, anxious, or stable. I think it was. Is there any of that playing into like? Does it matter whether an individual is one of these three um, within, like, a family dynamic? It certainly would matter. Let me, let me jump back a little bit to some basics. Um, I think we all come into the world already somebody. That is, we all have an original personality, and psychology doesn't take that into account at all. It's not interested in the idea <laughs> that we, we come into the world already ourselves. Anybody who's had, you know, puppies or kittens or kids knows that every creature is already itself. So these basic differences, which might be, you know, that I'm a little more sensitive than the next person or a little sadder than the next person, a little more anxious than the next person, this may be me at birth. This may be my natural endowment. That's going to be challenging my whole life. I may be the person who has to be a little more avoidant because I'm a little oversensitive to stimuli, so I stay away from situations that are dynamic or dramatic, whereas another person races into those situations. So these original personality differences take place in every family. Every family member was already himself or herself at birth, and everybody else in the family has to deal with that ultimately, has to deal with the fact that everybody in the family is already themselves. In my model of personality, I have a three-part model of personality, and that is that there's original personality, and then there's what I call formed personality. That's, that's the us that accretes over time, kind of the stiff person we become, the repetitive person. And then there's what I call available personality, our, our remaining freedom to be the person we would like to be. If you take those three things into account, I think you have a much richer vision of how human beings actually operate, that they come into the world a certain person, that they then start to create and and become sort of cemented into a certain personality, but that there's still freedom available 
to allow yourself to be the person you want to be. Yeah, definitely. And so, oh, One last quick question before we end this. You know, it's often talked about how kids have their rebellious teenage years. Is there anything you would say to both teens and parents going through something like that? Well, I think the headline for me is we need independent kids. We need independent human beings. Normal and conventional doesn't look so good to me. You know, all the social psychological experiments show that conventional people are very quick to be sadistic in prison experiments or quick to shock other people in learning experiments. So I would prefer, this is my personal opinion, I would prefer teens to be rebellious and independent and themselves rather than caving into convention and conventionality and becoming a smaller version of themselves. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much, Eric, for this wonderful conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Check out Dr. Eric Maisel at www.ericmaisel.com. Eric ends with a C, and Maisel is spelled M-A-I-S-E-L. During the break, be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org, which stands for Be The Star You Are, a 501c3 literacy and positive media charity. More info is is available under events at our website at www.btsya.org once again. I'm Jovan Hundle. I'm Brigitte Gia. Please visit expressyourselfteenradio.com for more information about our show. When we come back, we will continue our inspiring conversation on Independence Day and Family Feud. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself. I'm Jovan Hundle, and today's hour is about Independence Day and family feuds. This segment, Be the Star You Are's event coordinator and veteran reporter, Chelsea Pelchat, is back with her segment, Past Present. Take it away, Chelsea. Hey, everyone. I'm Chelsea, a reporter on Express Yourself, and my segment is called Past Present. For the Independence Day edition of my segment, I will be talking about the historical aspects of this national holiday. Now, when you think about the 4th of July, your mind probably immediately goes to watching fireworks and parades, having barbecues, and, of course, who could ever forget about your uncle's bad jokes at the family dinner table? <laughs> and while the traditional way of celebrating your holiday, of this holiday is a great way 
to bring communities and families closer as we're all bound together by our pride and love of simply being an American. It's easy to lose perspective of what Independence Day really means. So last night I was doing some research and I came across some pretty shocking statistics and I'm actually just going to go ahead and read some of them all out to you. So according to a new study, an estimated one-fifth of high school students don't know which country we declared independence from. So for 14% of U.S. teens, today marks the historic day that we declared our Independence Day from France. And another 5% believes that this day marks when we finally stood up to the tyrannous Canadians. And if that wasn't bad enough, 15% of U.S. teens don't know that the Declaration of Independence was adopted on July 4th 1776, with 9% believing that we ratified the Constitution when, in fact, that didn't happen for another 13 years. And so when you look at the numbers, you can see that around 5 million U.S. teens today don't understand the meaning of Independence Day. And now when I was reading through all those statistics, I was really surprised that, like, in an era of technology where, with our phones, we literally have the world at our fingertips there still remains such a large portion of our generation who don't understand how our country really came to be and the reason why we see fireworks in the sky and wear red, white, and blue every single year. And so today, I don't want you guys to be part of that 5 million if you're in America. And if you're listening from, in, from an international location, it's always great to know exactly what happened on this day. And so I'll give you guys just a rundown of the historical background surrounding quite arguably the most important holiday in America. So as you all probably know, during the mid-18th century, the 13 colonies wanted independence from Great Britain, who ruled over them from across the Atlantic. And one of the main reasons why they were so keen on independence was because the British was asserting increasing control over the colonies. So, for instance, the Stamp Act might ring a bell, and it was a tax that affected almost all printed materials, and it proved to be pretty unpopular with the colonists who adopted the slogan, no taxation without representation. And it was because that decision had been made in the British Parliament where they had little to to no say. And some other events that followed and increased attention between the British and the Americans included the Boston Tea Party, where colonists responded to the Tea Act by dumping cartons of tea into the Boston Harbor, as well as the Boston Massacre, where a dispute between British guards and colonists and with a death, uh, ended with the death of around five Americans. Now, keep in mind, this is all leading up to July 2nd, 1776, when Congress finally voted in favor of independence. And two days later, delegates from the 13 colonies adopted the Declaration of Independence And this was written by Thomas Jefferson, who would later become our third president. So for me, I will be spending Independence Day at my city's parade, uh, barbecuing with my family, and most importantly, appreciating that our founding fathers worked hard to create a country where we are free as individuals with endless opportunities at our disposal. And I guess you could say that's really the seed of the American dream. And that, in my opinion, is the most important thing to remember on this day, where the 321 million Americans will stand united 
celebrating our amazing country. And with that in mind, I hope that all of you guys who are listening have a fantastic day celebrating the 4th, surrounded by all of your closest friends and family. Wow, that was that was super powerful, Chelsea. Um, you know, definitely with like right now today's political climate, we have to kind of remember to come back to some of the basics and really review the values that we stood up for when we, you know, began this great nation. <laughs> and so, yeah, Joven and I, right, you know, gotta gotta stay true and come back around to the values. <laughs> and so, Joven and I were talking in the first segment about, you know, fireworks, and we both, you know, talked about how we see them every every July Fourth, and we view them, and it's a great time, and they're kind of part of the tradition of July Fourth here in America. And so, why are fireworks part of the festivities? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, well, I mean, to put it simply. It's because John Adams wanted it to be, and many might not know this, but on July 3rd, a day before the Declaration of Independence was adopted by Congress, he actually wrote a letter to his wife, Abigail Adams, telling her that he wanted this event to be commemorated with, quote, quote unquote, palm and parade, with shoes, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other. From this time forward, forevermore. And I guess it's, I mean, it's been a tradition since the first commemorative Independence Day fireworks were set off on July 4th, 1777. And I mean, that's why you see fireworks in the sky. (laughs) You could thank John Adams for that. And fun fact, actually, Americans spent around $675 million on fireworks last year. I mean, it's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, definitely. And so, uh, like Brigitte was saying, we were talking a lot about different um, Independence Day traditions, not just in America, but around the world in the first segment. And so speaking just about America specifically, what are some other Fourth of July traditions that you've heard of and would like to talk about? Um, well, I mean, other than the basic parades, you know, watching fireworks and barbecuing, there's actually some hot dog eating contests that I've heard of. And, I mean, I actually watched the Around on stage, on, on TV, sorry, um, last year, and it's basically when I mean it's a food eating contest, and what can be po- what can possibly be more American than scarfing down as many hot dogs as you can before the timer goes off? And actually, that's a pretty popular thing to do to celebrate for the fourth in Midwest and during and down in the South. <laughs> hot dog eating contest yeah we I think we I think Jovan you mentioned that in the first segment as well and and that's pretty like that's yeah that is pretty American I feel like you know <laughs> we tend to take pride in our food and that's very important to us and so Chelsea you know uh just to jump back on to a little bit of like Political talk, gotta love it. Um, coming off of such a divisive election year would you say that we can all take pride in something that unites us all like the 4th of July? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the 4th of July is a perfect event where, you know, after such a rough year in politics where the country (laughs) is so divided by so many different opinions and views on all these issues like immigration, you know, um, we can all just come together, you know, united as one um, under the 50 stars and 13 stripes of our flag and, you know, just be proud that we live in a country where... We have so many opportunities and rights, and we are protected by a government 
that um, gives us freedom, you know, and, like, it's stuff that we shouldn't be taking for granted. I mean, living in this country, it's easy to think, oh, you know, like, everyone has these rights. Like, that's not true, you know. There's a lot of third world countries where people don't have all these opportunities that we have, and I think that it's just a day that we need to be taking to consider, you know, the millions of lives that soldiers have lost to fight for our independence and our rights and all these opportunities that we have today. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm actually really glad you brought that up because it's really sad that how you're saying Americans, we take so much for granted, you know, going off those startling statistics you mentioned about Americans not knowing like basic info about our country. Uh, it's very sad to see how little we think about, you know, how you're saying the rights we have, the freedoms we do have, you know, even uh, going off these startling statistics. And I remember just a few days ago, there was another poll released and where about 10% of adults actually believed that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. Oh, I saw that too. <laughs> yeah, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, yeah just so stuff like that. All the resources you were, that we have at our disposal, you know, how, how you were saying that we do have the world at our fingertips with our cell phones and with the freedom we have, you know, it's, it's not like everything we do on our cell phones is monitored in our country as opposed to other countries. And it's just really sad how stuff like that, where, you know, we don't take all this stuff for granted. Yeah, for exactly. Sure. Yeah, well, you know, thank you so much, Joven, for those facts. And thank you so much, Chelsea, for this great conversation, this great segment. Very informative. You know, we've got to really unite. Sadly, it is time to say <laughs> farewell. We give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids crew, especially our engineer, Aaron. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world. And thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Joven Hundle. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For info on our creative community, go to www.expressyourselfteenradio.com and our main site at www.bethestarur.org. Until next week, have a wonderful time this 4th of July with your family, and remember, be kind and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine. Between the lines If you would let yourself